You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I love, I love being around church planners because I is one. Amen. I like it. And 15 years ago, the Lord called uh, my family. Well, it'll be 15 years. We actually moved into Idaho the Saturday before Thanksgiving. And then uh, the second Sunday in this coming February will be uh, 15 years that we held our first service there. The first Baptist church that was planted in that part of the valley in Idaho in 99 years, they told me. And so grateful for that. For all 15 years, we've been setting up and taking down every Sunday and every Wednesday. And so I'm struggling with covetousness uh, with this building. This is amazing. Actually, when I go somewhere and see a building like this or what God is doing somewhere, it's an encouragement because you know if God can do it there, he can do it anywhere, amen? And uh, I told somebody, if I ever write a book, it's gonna be on setting up and taking down because it's the one area in life I'm an absolute expert at. I know how to do it. We've got it down to a science. And you know, people look at me a little bit when I talk about that and with a little bit of sympathy. I have guys say, 15 years you've been setting up and taking down. And you know what? It, it provides a fellowship for our people. Yeah. They really love it. And people will come to church on Sunday morning. And when I say the last amen, everybody starts doing their thing. They know exactly what to do. We've actually got a union within our church. And... <laughs> Don't touch the chairs, that's his job, you know. And, and so uh, we've got designated stuff. And it, it's, really, it's really taught the church how to work together and harmonize in that way. And so it's not, it's not listen, it's not near the burden that, that it sounds like it is. It's really a blessing in so many ways. And I, I have a sneaky, sneaking suspicion that when we get our building and we're, we're actively looking, it's just been... You know, just following the Lord, we're certainly not trying to outrun him. We've seen a number of churches do that and, and the results of trying to strike out on your own without God leading. And so we don't want to do that. So we're, we're just following the Lord and, and uh, just excited about what he's going to do. And believe it won't be long, but, but um, I, I believe when we get to that place, we're going to look back at some of these days with fondness. I really do. Now we'll be happy fondness, but it'll be, it'll be fondness nonetheless because it's given us a great opportunity. Thank you for being here. What an exciting thing. Listen, I'm not going to preach on the need of church planning because if you don't know that by now, and if you're not convinced of that, just go home and turn the news on for about 30 minutes, Okay. And you'll either be on drugs or you'll be into church planning in support. I want to tell you, it's, it's unbelievable what's happening in our nation. And I'd like to suggest that, that the answer is not in the White House, it's in God's house. Yes. And, and, and the people that are burning down our streets, looting in our cities, pillaging our neighborhoods, defacing the men who forged this nation out of an untamed wilderness and actually gave them the freedom to march in our streets. 
They're defacing them. Um, could very, very well be doing that because we have surrendered our inner cities to the devil. The answer is the gospel. The gospel changes lives. The gospel opens the blinded eyes of people to truth and the truth shall set you free. And so our, our, our goal, listen, of what we're doing here, I'm so excited to hear the guys in this region and what's happening here. It's, it's exciting. And we're grateful for that. And we're actually going to put up a statue in Idaho. Uh, we're building a new one to, to your governor here. And uh, man alive. Son. Listen to me. I, look, don't, don't bring the Bible out on me, but, but I believe in a woman president. I want to tell you that right now. I just do. I just, man, please. We need help. Amen. And uh, we so admire what's going on in this part of the world, and we're grateful for it. And, and, and I'm cutting up about the politics. I'm thankful for the church planning spirit. I'm grateful for you and, and love so many guys in this room. So, so thankful for you. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs in chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. And I want to I wanna try to help you tonight. Um, if, if I can, I want to help myself tonight. I, I want us to... I want us to think about some things that, in all honesty, is, is so needful, whether we're planning a church, whether we have pastored a church for, for any amount of time, it doesn't really matter. Whether you're a church member here and you're here in support of what's going on, I, I think this is something that God would have us look at tonight. So in Proverbs chapter number 16, do we stand normally, preacher? All right, if you'll stand uh, we'll do that. Proverbs chapter 16. I'm going to read one verse of scripture and then we're going to pray and get right into our message. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's always. It's true. It's the word of God. And so wherever you find pride, you know that following it is sooner or later, there's a fall. Wherever you find a haughty spirit, uh, you're going to find destruction following pride and, and behind a haughty spirit comes a fall. And so let's, let's just pray and, and get right into it. Lord, we need you tonight. Help us. Would you bring my thoughts in together? I'm so excited, so grateful to be here tonight. Thank you for the money that's been raised for your glory. And I pray that you'll bless each person that presents, each person that gives. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless this conference in a great way and, and that it would be the beginning, just the beginning of something that you do in in this neck of the woods, so to speak, Lord, that can only be attributed to your power and your glory. Amen. We'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
It was a stifling hot day on June the 25th, 1876, in a valley not very far from where we are right now tonight, a place that the Indians call the greasy grass after the narrow river that snaked its way uh, through the hills and the bluffs. The Black Hills, first time I ever had the joy of seeing them with my own eyes was just a handful of months ago last summer and it had wanted to for so many years of my life. I've read so many books about how that that land was sacred ground to the Indians that had lived there for centuries, so much so that they call the Black Hills the heart of everything that is. There's a great book by that name written about Red Cloud and the history of, of what took place uh, uh, throughout uh, this area, area, uh, era, uh, area in, in different places. George Armstrong Custer had arrived here not so much in pursuit of Lakota Sioux and Cheyenne as he was looking for the glory that had evaded him since the war between the states had ended. In that war, he had risen to rank of general. He was called the boy general. It was, it was a rapid ascension to glory. And yet that rank was a brevet rank. It was temporary. And so when the war between the states was over, uh, he had gone back to just being a captain. Out west, there, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of notable opportunities for someone to make a name for themselves. And, 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 and so um, no way he could distinguish himself. And, and so much so that his only promotion in his entire time here was just to lieutenant colonel of the 7th Cavalry. His men continued to call him general just simply out of the respect that he had earned during the previous war, but the lack of that official rank ate away at Custer. He could not stand the fact that he was no longer officially the general. He was court-martialed uh, and suspended for a year, fell out of favor with the administration of Ulysses Grant, lost favor with Sheridan and the ineptitude of the other officers that were here dealing with what was called nationally the Indian problem. He became frustrated and it left him yearning for that one big moment in time in which he could finally and forever etch his name in history and regain the glory and the fame that he had lost. And in fact... Because Grant had gone from a uniform to the White House, so to speak, there was a lot of undercurrent in our nation that Custer might indeed be a good candidate for President of the United States. But he needed another feather in his cap to launch him to that type of elevation in our nation's consciousness. And so here he is at Little Bighorn boasting that he and the 7th Calvary could, could whip all of the non-treaty Indians on earth. And in that little valley on that day, he would get the opportunity to do just that, if he could. Now you can say anything you want to about Custer, but the one thing you cannot ever accuse him of is cowardice. In fact, he had 11 horses shot out from under him. 
in battles. No man ever led in front of him. He always insisted that they be behind him. And he was the spear of the charge with saber raised, golden locks flowing in the wind. George Armstrong Custer always was first in the battle. He wasn't particularly great at strategy, but his greatest strength was his bravery. And it also was his greatest weakness. And so he turned down four second battalion companies that would have bolstered his fighting uh, number uh, exponentially and, and, and uh, turned down a battery of Gatlin guns that could have fired 350 rounds per minute and he led his men toward a fame that they would pay dearly for. Along that journey down into that valley, a Crow Indian stopped and demonstrably said to Custer, do not, sir, do what you're doing. Do not split your men into three columns. You can't do that. And Custer looked at the scout and said to him, you do the scouting and I will attend to the fighting. The Indian began to rend his clothes and Custer asked one of his men, well, what's he doing? And he said, he's, he's preparing for death. It should have been an omen of what was coming. And so Custer's arrogance blinded him to the reality that a coalition of Indian tribes that were led by Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse and so many other iconic warriors, you know, sometimes we get the idea that all the great fighters were white. Reality is, man, I'm going to tell you something. Those guys that rode those painted ponies, they were some great military minds. Read, read the history of Red Cloud. He was absolutely brilliant. And Custer on that day would face the largest gathering of hostile Indians that any white man had ever seen before. And if you, if, if you read the story of it, it was the most men, mishandled the most poorly organized, vaguely communicated battle plan in the history of the United States military. It was a bungled job. And it wasn't long that the air became thick with dust from galloping horses and the, the, the gunpowder of tens of thousands of gun blasts. And the sounds of death were everywhere. The screams of men and horses writhing in pain mingled mingled with the war cries of painted warriors. And before the sun set on Little Bighorn that day, the buffalo grass was stained red with the blood of dead United States cavalry men that were motionless beneath the scorching sun. George Custer had found his glory and his name was indeed etched in history but it was his last stand. Nothing shook our nation since 11 years earlier when Lincoln was assassinated like the death of George Armstrong Custer. They could not believe it. They did not believe it. They would not believe it. And our nation was shaken to its core. It was a battle that was driven by ego and sabotaged by officers who hated Custer almost as much as they hated the Sioux Indian. Now, let me tell you why I love history. And I taught it for 
20-something years. Can I tell you why I love history? Because what history does is it pulls back the curtains and lets us watch the Word of God play out in the lives of our fellow human beings. History may very well be the greatest testament to the absolute truth and authority of the Word of God. Every era, every event, everything that happens that makes its way into the history books of our world, every single one of them says, the Bible is true. When you walk that sacred ground, there, there's, there's a few places in my life that I have been to where there is a tangible hush. And I told my daughter after last summer, I said, when I walked out into the, the, those, those grass fields of, of Little Bighorn, there was a hush that came over the place because you knew you walked where men died. And, and the reality is, pride goeth before destruction. That's it. Come on now. And the haughty spirit before the fall. It, it was played out there. Just down the road, so to speak. We saw that verse in living action. Before destruction, Proverbs 18, 12, the heart of man is haughty and before honor is humility. And the reality of the matter is it's very easy for us to look at the George Custers and the Frederick Bentines and the Marcus Renos and see the pride and the ego that led men to their death or refused to go beyond the call of duty when their fellow soldiers are being slaughtered just over the next hill. But it's not so easy to see it in our own lives. Well, I can see pride in somebody else. But the problem is seeing pride in Dean. It's seeing pride in me. You know, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, you, you something. If you're planning a church, listen to me, please. It, it's not City Hall. That, that's not your greatest danger. Your greatest danger is not in the Mormons. We pastor in an area where, where one out of every five or six doors is Mormon and, and most of the politicians are Mormon and there are Mormons everywhere. But the greatest danger to my ministry is not the Mormons, it's the man in the mirror. You see. And the reality of the matter is behind every ministry that falls in one manner or another, it doesn't matter if it's money, it doesn't matter if it's women, it doesn't matter what it is, but when a ministry caves in, you can mark this down, it has always been preceded by pride because pride comes before the fall. Sometimes... We write our own press clippings. And I get disturbed when I hear a guy get up and say, listen, you've never heard anything like this before. <laughs> really? Well, then it's probably not true. Because there's nothing new under the sun. You know, we, we write our own press clippings and then we believe them. You know, we wrote them and we believe them. And and we become self-promoters, and I want to tell you, it's, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. 107 times 
The Bible mentions pride or proud or haughty and, 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 and it's full of not only warnings like the scripture we read tonight, but it's full of examples of people that, that fell into that trap, that got sucked into that uh, and, and allowed pride into their life and, and we see the destructive nature of pride in them. It's Satan wanting to be God. It's Adam and Eve's disobeying God. It's Moses trying to deliver Israel his way. It's Cain, his anger at God because he rejected his works-based salvation. It's Pharaoh saying, and who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's Job's three friends who saw themselves as judges. It's David numbering the people. It's Saul, King Saul, um, uh, saving Agag alive so that he could have a walking, living, breathing trophy uh, of his victory. It's Naaman not wanting to dip in the Jordan. It's King Uzziah assuming priestly duties. It's Hezekiah showing off the temple riches. It's Nebuchadnezzar saying, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? It's the stiff-necked rebellion of Israel Time and time again, it's the Pharisee who stood and thanked God that he was not as other men are. It's the elder brother who was further from God in his backyard than the prodigal was in a hog pen way off in a far country. So you can be in church. You can be in the house of God. You can stand behind a pulpit and be further from God than the people you're criticizing and preaching against. It's pride. It blinds us to ourself, blinds us to our own condition. It's James and John asking for, for the position of prominence. It's the disciples that forbade the man who cast out demons because he didn't walk with them. Can I help you with this? Now, I'm an independent Baptist from the top of my head to the bottom of my foot. I believe, preach, read only the King James Bible. I don't think I need to lay a crooked stick down by a straight stick to tell me what the straight stick looks like. So I, I don't have crooked sticks. I just use the straight stick. But I want to tell you this. It's not the kingdom of Dean. It's the kingdom of God. And God will who use in his kingdom whoever God chooses to use in his kingdom. And I'm going to give you something that's going to shock you. So you may want to grab somebody next to you. He doesn't even ask my permission. <laughs> he doesn't have to come to me and say, Dean, I'd like to use him. It may be a kid sitting on a street corner with an acoustic guitar, singing a Jesus song. That somebody comes along and hears the truth of, of just that God loves them and it may lead them somewhere else down the road. I'm, I, look, I... I don't get me wrong, I'm independent Baptist. I'm just simply saying, we really shouldn't spend our life and don't do this in the city you're planning a church, calling down fire on everybody else. Why don't we let God be God and let God sort it out? That's, that's a good way to keep yourself out of trouble. I, I, I think, I think it, it, it's probably Peter denying uh, 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 proclaiming that he would die before he would deny. Herod accepting his status as a god. The church at Laodicea saying, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Jacqueline Crow said this. She sa he said, we know the disease 
but we don't recognize the symptoms. Let me say, first of all, pride causes us to overestimate ourselves and underestimate others. It causes us to overestimate who we are and underestimate who others are, and it's the chief characteristic of pride. And so we make a comparison. We compare ourselves with others. And, 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 and somebody said pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more than the next man. It is by comparison uh, that makes you proud the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride leaves. So we have to compare ourselves. Now, now, now listen to me. I've been in church planting conferences for a long time. I'm glad God allowed me the joy of, of you know, striking out and doing that. It's the greatest privilege of my life that God's given me. I'll thank him for all eternity that he took me from my comfort zone in South Georgia and brought me all the way across into Idaho, Mormon country, and allowed me just to, just to strike out and knock doors and scratch out a little place for the glory of God and live my life out serving him there. I'm so thankful I'm a church planner. But we can have arrogance too. One of the ways we have arrogance is to make a statement like, well, God's called me to such and such a place. And th- th- there's, a, there's a couple of churches there, but nobody's doing nothing. Wow. That's quite an assessment, isn't it? You're not there yet. But you figured out that nobody's doing nothing there. Maybe there's an old guy that's been there 25 years. He's buried two kids. He struggled financially with very little support. But every Sunday, every Sunday, he gets up faithfully and preaches the word of God. And the people that come and hear him hear the word of God preached. And then some whippersnapper comes and he's right out of Bible college and he's going to do something really dynamic for God. And so he passes the assessment that there's nobody there really doing anything for God. Probably a good idea to leave that for God to figure out. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And, and I think we view life sometimes through the lens of a prideful spirit. We, we place more value on ourselves than we do others. Why is his church larger than mine? Those thoughts are dangerous. Because what that is really saying is, why does he deserve more than me? That, that's, really, that's really the essence behind it. And why, why is his church growing and mine is struggling? Why, uh, how come he has a nice building? Why did his church honor him on his, on his anniversary? I was in a service one time of a friend of mine where he had an evangelist and the evangelist got up, was just simply trying, he was a pastor, but he was trying to encourage the people of how his church had taken care of him. And as he just talked about them buying him a new car on his anniversary, I'm gonna tell you, I I, I noticed my pastor friend becoming more and more deflated. 
And he resigned his church out of discouragement because he sat there and got thinking, why did his church do that for him and my church didn't do that for me? Why did his church send him to Hawaii and why did he have to post it on Facebook? <laughs> Please, if they do that, keep it to yourself. I don't want to see it, you know. Why was he asked to preach at that meeting and, and, and I wasn't? You know, we can become prideful about our Bible reading. Especially with social media now. Well, uh, I'd like to give glory to God that I just read through my Bible 800 times. Okay. What'd that do for you? As you sped read, you know, you, you speed read through the Bible. And I read through my Bible. It's one of the things I like to do if I can on a yearly basis, but that's, why do we get pride out of that? Isn't it foolish? Did you know this? We can have what we call Bible standards, and yet we have pride, which is not so Bible, about those standards. We can become, we can become so haughty. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Somebody said it's been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. And so if we're not careful, we'll become very infected with it. Amy Carmichael said, if the moment I am conscious of the shadow of self crossing my threshold, I do not shut the door. And in the power of him who works in us to will and to do, keep that door shut, then I know nothing of Calvary love. You better shut it and bolt it when the thought of pride comes to your life. Second, let me just say this quickly, and that is pride gives us the sense of entitlement. It whispers in our ear, hey, you deserve, man, come on. You deserve it. You, you, that, you, know, you should be on the receiving end. And, and, and what happens, listen, what happens is it makes us place expectations on other people that if they don't fulfill that expectation, then we get mad. Look, would you just, listen guys, just be shocked every time your church does anything for you. Don't expect it on your birthday. Don't expect it on your anniversary. Don't get used to it at Christmas. Listen, just, just stop feeling entitled. Stop, stop thinking that the perks come with the position. Because when you do that, you become prideful. You see. Boy, it can seep into every single Every single one of us, if we're not careful, it's there. It's, it, it, you know, the elder brother, that's exactly what, he was entitled. He said, what did you do for him? You never gave me a party. You, you go back and read it and he says, you, you know, um, all these many years did I serve you, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Now that's a lie. What kid can say that? You know, he's lying. <clears throat> Dad, I never broke one of your rules. That's a lie right off the bat. And, and then he said, you never did for me what you did for him. That's basically, you didn't do for me what you did for him. He was entitled. 
And rather than rejoicing that his prodigal brother had come home, he whined about what he felt he deserved. And he, because of his expectations, he felt cheated. Years ago, my mom was a southern, she was a southern belle, Savannah girl. Actually born in Tillman, South, South Carolina, but raised in Savannah. She had, a, she had a long southern draw. I wasn't Dean, I was Dean. Call me Dean. Two-syllable word. And I went over her house. I was pastoring my first church. I don't even remember what the subject was about or the issue, but I said to my mom this statement, brilliant statement, great statement for a young guy to make, wonderful. I said to my mother, I said, you know, mom, after all, I thought about something the church was going to do for me. I said, after all, I think I've earned my stripes. And my mama, sweet as honey, she said, well, Dan, I, I think you have, son. I agree with you. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. I think you deserve this. And I walked off with my mama's not only pat on my back, but my mama's affirmation in my heart. And I got in my car to drive the 65 miles back to the town where I pastored outside of Savannah. And when my back wheels hit the pavement, the Holy Spirit of God said, oh, you're giving out stripes now, huh, Dean? That's great. You get to promote yourself. And so now you decide, you now you decide that you've earned your stripes and, and that you deserve this. And I began to feel the conviction. And it was like the Spirit of God was saying to me, that's not your job, that's my job. And this isn't the rewarding day. This is the day of service. There'll be a rewarding day one day. And whatever I do for you here, and however I bless you here, that's up to me to do that. I got home and I called mom. I said, Mom, I got to apologize to you. And she said, What, honey? And I said, Mama, don't. Don't. I said, Boy, God got all over me. And I'm grateful the Lord taught me a very important lesson that, that day. Because a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 29 23. Number three, let me say this to you quickly. Pride exiles us to individualism. You know what pride does? It magnifies the importance of me. We're independent Baptists, but can I just tell you this? We, we ought to be more dependent than we are independent. Because what happens is our pride exiles us to individualism. And, and the reality, listen carefully, something can happen uh, between when a man has nothing to lose and everything to gain. See, in the early years, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's one thing because you're, you're scratching out of ground and you're, you're coming to conferences and you're trying to raise money for chairs and you're, 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 you're trying to get by and, and maybe do odd jobs to help keep things together and you're, you're scratching and working and, and, and doing all that and you've, you've got nothing to lose. You're just throwing your all into it. You get a building like this 
or a car and some perks, it's easy then to start thinking about what you need to protect to keep it. And so if we're not careful, we can become so prideful of what we have and the things that that we have gained that we become exiled to just simply surrounding ourselves with agreement. I, I, I think sometimes the goal of many people is to live in an echo chamber. So all they hear are the voices of agreement with them and, and, and never have the challenge of, of uh, others and the thoughts that they might bring that might expand us and help us. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, the Bible says. You know, proud people don't harmonize well. So, so if we're little islands into ourselves, that's probably making a pretty good statement. You know what, I mean? what I'm saying? I mean, if we can't harmonize with anybody, the, the Bible said that, 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 that it's pride that stirs up the strife and only by pride cometh contention. And so we need to be very careful of individualism that makes us think we are it, we are an island, we can do it, we don't need you, we don't need anybody, I'm good enough, thank you. That's a pretty prideful, and by the way, when we set ourselves up as the measuring device, that could very well be the most arrogant position anybody could ever take on earth. That if you don't measure up to me, you're not good enough. Why? Because I am, after all, my friends, the measure. I'm the ruler, okay? I'm the yardstick, and so you have to measure up to me. What an arrogant assumption to make. Here's the reality of it all. We all are sinners that deserve to die and go to hell. And the only reason we're going to heaven is because Jesus died for us and paid our sin debt for us. So who are we to set ourselves up on a pedestal? You know? Let me say this also. Pride puts distance between us and God. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. So true. Because what pride does for us is it it puts distance between us and God. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Okay, what bats lead off in that lineup? Proud look. Bat number one, who's up? Come on, who's at the plate? A proud look. I'll tell you what I hate, God said. Numero uno, I hate a proud look. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be, uh, he shall not be unpunished. And, 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 and pride is something that God hates because it convinces man that he is God. And so the Bible says, James 4, 6, he giveth more peace, wherefore God said, wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Again, in 1 Peter 5, 5, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. The reality of the matter is we can claim everything we want to claim, but when we've got pride in our life and we think we can do it on our own, God has got us at arm's length. That's what he said. God resists us. 
You can call his name. How many times does the Bible say these people are real close to me with their mouth, but with their heart, they're nowhere around? So we can, we, can, we, we, can, we can talk about the great things we have done. And we can get all puffed up in our pride about h- how long we've been there. How many churches we've planted. How much money we've raised. And all of those things. But whenever we touch the glory of God... God looks down at a silly little sinner that deserves hell and is strutting his own stuff thinking he's accomplished something when Jesus already told us, without me, he can do nothing. And yet we're bragging on ourselves. Now I want to tell you what I don't need. I don't need God resisting me. I need God embracing me. So when I go to him, I got to go humbly. And and every now and then what God's going to do in your life, if you're anything like me, God's going to send you through a dilemma that will remind you, eh, ain't you, boy. It's not you. You're going to lay somewhere on a hospital bed and you're going to realize, dear God, I need your help. It may be something that you go through in your church. And, 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 and maybe after years, I, I, remember, I remember one night I was tossing and turning over some things financially. It, it was like two in the morning, I've got to preach. And the Lord said, how long have you been in the ministry? And how many times have I got you out of a situation like this? And why are you awake? Dean, it's not your church, son. It's mine. It doesn't belong to you. You belong to it. And why why are you worrying? I've never failed you yet, have I? Sometimes our worry is a symptom of our pride because we think it's all on our shoulders. let Let me say this too. One thing, and I'm going to go to my last point, we're going to tie a knot in this. But, but can I tell you this? Listen. Take care of your family. Take your kids on vacation. And for them, let me shock you. Vacation is not a fellowship meeting. That's torture. Well, honey, we're going, we're going to the conference. No, that's not a vacation. And by the way, if there are church people here, insist that your pastor go on vacation and pay for it. Give him a vacation bonus. People come on my staff, one of the first requirements they have is that they have an off day, that they watch out for their family, that they go on vacation, and every one of them is given a vacation bonus so that they can do that. You know, I've never had them fight over that. <laughs> They've never fought me over that for some reason. All right, pastor, if you say so. And the kids are like, is he real? You know? No, tr- truly, listen. 
the workaholic mentality like the church just so depends on me is built on our ego. Can I tell you this? The church depends on him. And we might be shocked. We might be shocked that we can go do something for a little while and the church does pretty good if we've taught it well. Last of all, and this is the saddest, I think, in many ways, pride leads us to prayerlessness. You see, we've been told and commanded to pray without ceasing. And yet, when we don't pray, it's our declaration of independence from God. Psalm 10, verse 4, listen to this. The wicked through his pride, the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. For God is not in all his thoughts. I wonder sometimes how often we spend our day like the wicked, not seeking after God. See, we don't need him when things are bad only. We need him when things are good. It's every hour of every day and Pride, pride deceives us into thinking that somehow we can do it on our own and, and we're capable and we're independent and we're unstoppable and we're, we're self-reliant and, 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 and we get to the place to where, listen, we, we get to the place to where we get, we get a system. We get a system in place and the system runs itself. I get the idea when Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock that the people in the church did not even know that he wasn't in on the inside. He's knocking at the door. If any man will let me in. Because everything was running by program. And nobody had woke up to the fact that he wasn't there because long ago they stopped running on his power. They kept running on program power. And there can come a time in your ministry, and I've seen it, where ministry morphs into machinery and it runs itself. And that's the saddest place in all the world to be. When you pick up a paycheck, you clock in and clock out and everything just goes the same old, same old, same old. And the Shekinah glory of God never falls because we don't even know that we need it. Now, we're here because we have a heart for God. I believe that with all my heart. But I felt like God wanted me to issue a warning, a reminder to all of us, and that is simply this, that if we ever get to the place where we stop recognizing in, in whatever city, whatever population, wherever it is, however long you've been there, if we ever get to the place where we stop recognizing our need for Him, There is a valley of the greasy grass where the buffalo grass will be stained with what once was the lifeblood of our ministry, our marriages, our families, and the people we serve because pride always precedes destruction. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that?
We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.